Good morning, everybody. I'm glad you made it. I almost didn't make it. This time story is strange. I'm, I'm still getting accustomed to it. But here we are. Neo found, uh, Neo is my youngest, he found a slug in uh, Doug's yard. Apparently there's lots of slugs in your yard, brother. And he put it in a little container, in a bigger container with grass and all the things that it needs. In my office, on my desk last night, he said, that's a nice pet for you. This morning, he walks in and he digs it out, looking for it, and he's like concerned that it's still exactly the same space it was last night. So it didn't move. And he picks it up and suddenly he starts screaming. He says, it had a baby. I'm like, wow, it had a baby on his finger. So I looked and the snail pooed on him. I thought to myself, okay. <laughs> so I just, I just acted along. That's incredible, boy. Wow. Anyways, just to wake us up. The title of this morning's lesson is Cave Syndrome. It's a phrase that was coined by psychologists after the COVID-19 pandemic and its quarantine. This is what it means. It's the feeling of unease in integrating back into public spaces after experiencing social isolation. Make sense? I think some people really felt uncomfortable getting back into public life again after being locked up in your house for a time. It's a fact that social isolation physically changes your brain, our brains. They've done research on people who go into space and they end up on the, uh, what's it, the International Space Station. They'll stay there for a couple of months, not lots of interaction. They've done research on people who go to Antarctica, scientists who go work there. They say it is silent in Antarctica. You hear nothing. The wind howls, but that's it. And they've studied these guys. They go for 14 months at a time. No social interaction. They studied their brains and their behavior and their personality. And they've realized that this isolation physically changes their brains. Here's some of the consequences of isolation. First of all, one of the things that come up is brain damage. They've picked up not so much with the astronauts because the astronauts are highly resilient. They've been chosen to be strong mentally. But those who go to Antarctica, many of them come back and this shape, the shape of their brain has physically changed. Uh, another thing is post-traumatic stress disorder, what people pick up, depression, an increase in irrational fears. We've picked it up with COVID, right? Some people have gone into isolation. They come out and now they're scared of the world. They don't want to touch people, go close to people at all. They didn't even want to go to the shops. They've developed irrational fears while being isolated. There's um, violent behavior and then there's Triviality and triviality means is you know small things become big things when you are um, isolated. This guy here, this is Sergey Savitsky. Uh, he made the headlines because he was in um, Antarctica as a scientist, 
And one day he got fed up with one of the guys that was working with him because this guy kept on spoiling the ends of the books that he was reading. So he decided to stab him. Spoiler alert. Here's a, a little sign about that. Um, or a little image. In 2018, Sergei Savitsky stabbed his colleague at a Russian Antarctic research station. The rumor is that the victim Oleg below Guzov wouldn't stop ruining the endings of the books Savitsky was reading. There was no trial and no explanation because the two reconciled. You can imagine that you, if you're isolated and suddenly you're exposed to people that you get a little bit more irritated than usual because you're used to controlling your whole environment and now suddenly you don't anymore. So it really makes sense to me. It makes you irritable because you are used to controlling your environment and now suddenly you can't control everything and so you become less tolerant. You become less gracious and less loving. I've got a friend who has parents who have a wonderful property, a big property, wonderful house. And when you walk into the house, everything is spick and Spanish and clean the whole time. They never want to leave their house. They stay there the whole time. And what's the most important thing in their day is to mow the lawn. And to make sure that every corner of the house is clean. They don't like visitors. Because visitors bring dust into their property. And visitors move around stuff in the house. And visitors sit in the chairs that they actually prefer it to be empty. And so they never go out and they don't want people there. And I feel so sad for them. It's to the extent that we always joke with them, like when we talk to them over the phone. How's the lonely life over there? Are you, have you been sitting on your lawnmower today? What's the grass looking like? Because that is the most important thing in your life, to mow the lawn. So this is what happens. The more you isolate yourself, the more the insignificant things of life become the most important things in your life. And I think to a large extent, you, um, you become separate from the world. And I think engaging with people then becomes extremely stressful. You know, one of the most difficult things about Christianity is this, right? That we've got to love the thing that is the most difficult to love. And what is that? Another human being. It's tough to love some people, right? It's really tough. Now, some people are in a state of permanent cave syndrome. Reclusiveness. Isolation. It's all over our society. Research says that 40% of adult Americans say that they're lonely. In 1980, it was 20%. So in like 40 years, the rate of loneliness in this country has doubled. Isolation has increased. Why is this happening? Why are people more and more avoiding each other? Have you picked it up? I've definitely picked it up. People are more and more trying to avoid each other, get around each other, and not face each other. Why is society becoming more antisocial? Why are people hiding away in the caves of their homes? Why is there less interaction in one another's homes? Ask yourself the question. I've heard stories of this church. I've heard about the good old days, like 30, 40 years ago, when we used to go to one another's homes often. It stopped. Much of that has stopped. Why? 
What is going on? Why do we prefer the comfort of our own homes instead of going to other people's homes? Why do we block people from coming into our homes? Why have we become so anti-social? Now, I think that there's a few reasons. And I'm going to provide a few that I think, and it's open for debate, obviously, but just to get our discussion going. I think one of the reasons is because some people would say, well, people make me feel denigrated, which means people make me feel, you know, people criticize me unfairly. Um, they will hurt me. They will judge me when I go into social spaces. People look at me funny, and I don't know how to, to deal with that. Um, and I think to a large extent, it's true. I mean, we live, in a, we live in a social environment where people are very critical. Like they judge you big time. By the way that you look. By the way that you behave. By the way that you say things. And so we're scared even to go into... And, and I, must, I must be honest, like, American society, I find very judgmental. Very critical. Uh, we uh, had, had the boys playing uh, basketball. And in South Africa, we used to it. I mean... You go next to the field when the boys are playing rugby. You're like, go boy, smash him, you know, break his leg. No, I'm just joking. I don't say stuff like that. But it's like, go for it, take that ball. You know, you're passionate and your kids are playing the game. And so we go to a basketball game and it took us, because we are so crazy, these South Africans, that it, it, it took us like 10 minutes of screaming to realize nobody else is screaming. And all the other parents are just looking at us. Like, who's these crazy people here? And as time went on, we started to realize how people were commenting about us. You know, these parents that are screaming like this, why don't they get onto, onto the field and let their children scream at them? You know, you hear these comments. And then I realized, yo, this is, a, this is you, you're not really safe in this environment because people assume the worst of you. Well, you're a bad parent because you're encouraging your, your child passionately to, to enjoy the game. So I, I think I've got firsthand experience in that. And so what do you do when that happens? Okay, I'll go sit next to the field. I won't talk to anybody and I'll just be quiet. That's what it does. And so if people are judgmental, what are you going to do? Oh, I'd rather just stay at home. Whoa, you don't want to go out there. And people, I mean, look at the way people drive. You make a mistake at the robot, they hoot you down. They want to drive over your car. Especially in this place with these big trucks. So, so I think that's one of the reasons. Another reason is, you know what? I feel inadequate. I've got a low self-esteem. I don't think much about myself. I would rather live like a hermit and be reclusive in my house than come out into society where I risk feeling this way. Some cool quotes. Uh, this is a Twitter person that said, If I was accidentally weird to you once, just know I will be thinking about it every night for the next 50 years. Some people are like that. They're, they're like... We think over and over again what we said in a social uh, context, and it eats at us. And so we rather avoid getting into contact with people. I came, I saw, I had anxiety, so I left. You heard, <laughs> you know what this is about, right? Alexander the Great, he said, I saw, I came, I conquered. You know, and the, the guy who's anxious, like, no, I, I, I had anxiety and then, and then I left. And I like this one. You wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you if you realized how seldom they do. And that's just some advice, because I think people are less critical of us sometimes than what we think. So that's a second reason. Maybe a third reason is everybody out there are fools. 
And this comes from a space of arrogance, and I've come across this as well. And usually the people that are like this, that say, I don't want to have anything to do with the people out there, um, they're usually conspiracy theorists. Everybody out there is out, is, is, are, are fools, and they just don't know how bad it is, and I'll just stay away from these people. Um, and I've got a, a few quotes for you on that. Antisocial behavior, this is Nikola Tesla, is a trait of intelligence in a world full of conformists. Antisocial behavior is a trait of intelligence, this is what she says, in a world full of conformists. So everybody's conforming and I'm not like them. So I want to be separate from them. Another person said, I thought I had social anxiety, but it turns out I just don't like people. And so some people are just arrogant. They feel they're better than others. And that's why they are antisocial and why they hide away in their in, in their homes. There's another issue that I think is very relevant to us in America, and that is substance abuse, marijuana, pain medication, um, all of these medications. What does it do, ladies and gentlemen? It makes you want to sleep, doesn't it? Much of it makes you want to sleep. It makes you want to escape reality. It detaches you from, from life. And lots of people are on medication, so what do they do? They'd rather be at home, be on pills to take care of the pain and sleep away the day. It makes you antisocial. It makes you not want to go out. It's unhealthy. So there's a lot of that, um, I think, going on in our society as well. Another reason is the land on the outside is eggshells. You know what that means? Is that you've got to walk around on eggshells. You're so scared somebody's going to sue you. You're going to get in a car wreck and issues are going to develop. Or you're going to punch somebody in the head that annoys you. Or you're going to say the wrong thing. And so you rather avoid society. I've had that as well. I go to Walmart. I'm looking for something. I can't remember what it was. I think I've shared this with you. I was looking for chains for the, for the car, which is a weird new thing for me. Like you have chains for your wheels. And there's a person walking down the aisle, and I make sure, like, okay, is there a is there a badge? Yes, this person works at Walmart. Because it's embarrassing when you say to a client of Walmart, hey, uh, where can I find something? So I've done that a few times. And so this person's got a bandana on and a hat and glasses and a mask. Like you, you know, within 10 seconds, you've got to make a judgment. Is this a man or a woman? So I assume looks like a man. Excuse me, sir. Do you know where I can? I'm not a sir. <laughs> ah. So now, I mean, it's, it's such a gender sensitive place. I don't even want to. So it's like, it's weird for me coming from South Africa. It's like, in South Africa, it's prim and proper to say something. Good morning, ma'am. Yeah, you can't say that. Because you don't know if it's a ma'am. And then the person's offended. And so you walk around on eggshells the whole time. It's like, good morning, You. That's maybe the way that it needs to be done now. And so we, we constantly in a situation where we fear that we're going to offend people. Um, Shirley, don't worry. You look like a woman. I know you're a woman. Okay. Just all the Walmart employees. Thirdly, what I call reclusive societal normalization. So what's happening is a lot of the young people, and I think the weather plays into that. We play lots of PC games. And so you want to be inside the whole time. And so you avoid people because you'd prefer being in a world that's not real than deal with real people. And so you play games. There's wonderful things like Amazon Prime. You don't have to go to the shops anymore. You can just order. The guy drops it off at the door. And so you avoid social interaction. 
Um, you know, I, I went to Hobby Lobby a week and a half ago or something, and I got to the till, and the lady said to me specifically, she said, our machines don't do the tap thing. You, you know, when you tap your card, I mean, isn't that type of convenience making it easier to avoid people? Because you can just tap and go. And she says, and also, well, why does your machines not do that? And she said to me, it is part of our marketing strategy that we want our people who work at the tills to make contact and make conversation with the clients. So we've deliberately set up our machines so that there isn't contact payment like that. So we have to talk to you. Isn't it interesting that even the businesses are realizing that there's isolation taking place in society? Anyways, the slow and steady decline in human interaction, the incline in social isolation, the increasing stay in my cave um, type of mentality, ladies and gentlemen, it is a bad thing. It is a bad thing for society. It is bad for the kingdom of God. It is bad for the church. It is bad for each one of us. There is a spirit at work in our world. I believe it's demonic. I believe it's satanic. And it's gradually separating us from each other. We are gradually being pushed into corners of isolation. Now our isolation might be justified. But it isn't natural and it isn't normal. In actual fact, I'd like to say this morning, the Holy Spirit will never push you away from people. The Holy Spirit will never push you into isolation and seclusion. And what I mean by that is I'm not talking about the instance where the Spirit pushed Jesus into the wilderness for temptation. It was for a time. God will never push you into a lifestyle where you avoid people. Why? Because it's all about people. And we'll talk about that. And I believe that we need to counter that trend. God's people, we need to counter the trend. Otherwise, we fall prey to it. Let me make a few points about this. Warm love cannot live in isolation. If it was true that we could be loving warm people and live in isolation, then Jesus would never have left heaven. I mean, Jesus might as well just have stayed in his cave of heaven and avoid coming down to us. Don't you think it was uncomfortable for Jesus to leave heaven to come live among us? I think it was extremely uncomfortable, but he did it. Why? Because of love. If we love someone, we want to spend time with them. If we don't want to spend time with people, then we don't love them. Look at all the synonyms of love. Let's look at them. Fondness. Tenderness. Warmth. Attachment. This, is this what our society is working towards? Endearment. Devotion. Enjoyment. Appreciation. Oh, we don't enjoy one another. I want to elbow you. Not you. The guy. The annoying guy. In the street. Relish. Affectionate. Friendly. Thoughtful. Liking. These are important terms. How can we do these things? How can we be this locked away in our houses? We, can we be warm towards the TV or the toilet? 
These are things that are relational. It's about people. Jesus left his cave because he loved. Now, I've shared with you this verse. Let's talk about it again. Matthew 24, 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Jesus predicted that this would happen. This is where we are at. The love of most people are cold. Jesus prophesied about this. The easy to read version says the following. There will be so much more evil in the world that the love of most believers will grow cold. And it's understandable why our, our love is growing cold because people out there are evil. We don't want to be with them. We don't want to talk to them. They're annoying. They're ungodly. And so we avoid them. And that infiltrates the church. And so sometimes we feel this way about people in the church. Because people in the church even are filled with evil. They look at us funny. They don't greet us. And we can definitely feel they don't love us. I'm not saying that's what I'm experiencing here. But that's one of the things that happens. Why people get isolated. So let's go back to the slide. What does cold love look like? Being aloof. Apathetic. Disagreeable. Disloyal. Inattentive. Have you picked it up? I mean, we were in the, 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 the well, I almost said submarines, the, these trains in, in New York. They're not submarines. <laughs> Subways. Yes. I mean, you could go into the subway cabins and you can stand there and nobody pays attention to you. Nobody cares about who you are. That's a cold, inattentive, inconsiderate, neglectful, selfish world. Thoughtless, unfeeling, unsociable, unfriendly. These are all the antonyms related to, to love. The challenge for us is not to fall prey to this, to become like this. It, the temptation is huge. So on Fridays, I try to go down to Husky Idol. Husky Idol is, this, uh, is, is a, a church that's got this hall down the road across from the high school. And they give pizza or burgers to the kids that come from the high school. They play music outside and then the high school students come in. So I go there on Fridays to talk to these teenagers and see if there's somebody looking for God. And when I go there, I forget sometimes that I'm old. I feel so young. But these kids look at me weird. Especially now I've got an accent as well. So I go and I'd randomly, I don't know the kids. Luckily this past Friday was easier because I've made one friend so far. Mr. Lucas and the Friday Nate was there as well. He popped in there and, and Evan was there as well. And so it was nice to chat to them. But if you walk into a room full with teenagers in America and you got, you're an old guy with weird accent, it gets very awkward very quickly. It's like, who's this weirdo? Just get out of my face. And so last week I went and I was like, this is so hard. It's so hard because these, these kids are looking at you critically. You know how teenagers are. And it's like, why would I want to go back there? Why would I even risk putting myself in this uncomfortable situation? There's only one thing. The love of Christ compels me. Because I might meet somebody that wants Him. That's why I go. I don't, want to, I don't feel comfortable going. It feels, I feel out of place. And I consider myself not the biggest introvert in the world. I'm not an extrovert. But I will go. I'll talk to people. But that is hard. 
And the temptation is to do the same thing. Well, I, I don't want to connect with people. I don't want to go out of my house because it will feel uncomfortable. It felt uncomfortable for Jesus. It felt it feels uncomfortable for every person that has ever gone to evangelize. It is hard, but we do it because the love of Christ compels us to connect with society. I researched the Bible to see if I can find the word isolation or recluse in it. And I came across one verse. This is a harsh verse. This is a harsh verse. Proverbs 18 verse 1. An unfriendly person isolates himself. And seems to care only about his own issues. For his contempt of sound judgment makes him a recluse. An unfriendly person isolates himself. And seems to care only about his own issues. Now I know this verse is debated by some. But one thing is very clear. A person who separates himself from people. Cannot claim to care about people. This is harsh. I know I'm being hard here. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. But a person who separates himself from people. Cannot claim to care about them. You might say, well, you know, that isn't true. It's not that I don't care about people. It's just that I cannot deal with them. They make me anxious. Then I ask about, well, what about your church? Do the people in your church also make you anxious? And if so, there's one of two reasons, two problems. Either you are unloving or your church is. But people who love each other will always draw to each other. You might say, well, um, I just have a low self-esteem. I hear you and I understand. But what about your faith? And what about Jesus? And what about the word of God? Have, have you not internalized the fact that God made you and he loves you as you are? Why is your self-worth dependent on you and your view or other people's view of you instead of God's view of you? Your identity is grounded in what God thinks you are, not in what people think you are. People who are dead don't care what others think of them. Why are you not dead yet? So that's one point. The second point is it's not good to be alone. When I say um, be alone, I mean live alone. Be a recluse. Live life alone. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. The text is not telling us that we all need to be extroverts. That's not what I'm saying this morning. I'm just saying that we need people in our lives. We do. We need one another. Look at this text in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can you keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Solomon unpacks for us here various reasons here as to why it's better to have somebody in your life than to be a recluse. With people in your life, you can get more done. With people in your life, you have assistance. With people in your life, you feel warm. Love, there's nothing better than to be loved by someone. 
And that's usually what isolated people needs the most, is love. And that's the thing that they avoid. And then lastly, you can have more strength against the enemy. And then lastly, you have, you have support. Let me give you some research quickly. Almost done, guys. Hang in there. This is Susan Pinker. Look at what she says. Face-to-face -face contact releases a whole cascade of neurotransmitters. And like a vaccine, they protect you now in the present and well into the future. So simply shaking hands, giving somebody a high five is enough to release oxytocin. Which increases your level of trust and it lowers your cortisol levels, so it lowers your stress. As a result of social interaction, dopamine is also generated, which gives us a little high and it kills pain and it's like a naturally produced morphine. I find that pretty cool. So face-to-face -face interaction, connecting with people can relieve pain, she says. Now, I can go on and on. There's lots of research. I've got lots of research here today, but I don't want to share all of that with you. But exercising in a group produces better results than exercising alone. Interesting. Studying in a group produces better results than studying alone. I can go on and on. The research is clear. The Bible is clear. We need isolation now and then. We need time alone, but we need one another. Do me a favor. Just say to the person next to you quickly, I don't know if I like you. But I need you. I believe it's the church that solves the modern trend. Ikigai is a book that was written about some Japanese people. And it was, it was called The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life. And they interviewed what they call super centenarians. Do you know what a super centenarian is? It's a person that is older than 110 years. This is the village that's got the oldest people in the world, the most amount of them. And the village is called Ogimi. This, this village in Okinawa is, called, is in a blue zone, which refers to the people in the world that lives the happiest and the longest lives. And so they interviewed them. They researched these people. How is it that they live so long? And look at what the research says. Being socially connected was key in these people's lives. It is customary in Okinawa to form close bonds with local communities. A muai is an informal group of people with common interests who look out for one another. For many, serving the community becomes part of their ikigai. Now, there's a few words that I've highlighted in yellow here. This is simple, mingle-mungle language for church. That's what this is. It says socially connected. Hmm, that sounds like people spending time together, not at, just at a church building uh, while singing Kumbaya. There's the words close bonds. Hmm, that sounds like relationships of love. That we share life, not just a pew on a Sunday. There's the word communities. Hmm, that sounds like the Greek word for fellowship. Koinonia, which means common. This is where we get the word communion from. These guys practice church. 
The idea of community. Let's remove Christ from it. But they practice the idea of community. What about the words one another? Huh, that sounds all too familiar, doesn't it? You know that those fra- that phrase appears over 100 times in the New Testament? And 59 times it is a command to tell us how we ought to relate to each other. What about the word serving that appears there? Huh, that sounds familiar too, right? Didn't Jesus come to serve? And so the oldest people on the planet teaches us that if we want to have a long and happy life, we've got to be plugged into a community, which is what the church is supposed to be. But unfortunately, you've heard, this, you've heard me say this many times before, the idea of church has become just a place you go to in a building once a week where we sing a few songs and that's the only time we see each other. We, it's, it's not that we can't say that that's the full extent of the community that these people have. So if the church becomes our community, we will live longer and happier lives. It's a fact. But for many people, church isn't our community. It's a place we go to. It's a worship service we go to. It's not really our community. We're not really connected with everybody. It's people whom we worship with once a week. That's about it. And often the reason why we attend worship services is because we have been taught. It is something that we need to do in order to maintain our relationship with God. In many ways, I think there's some truth in it. And there's usually one verse that is thrown around. Do you know what verse that is? And unfortunately, we throw around this verse aimlessly. And, and hardly ever stop to just read it and, and think about what it says. I want us to read this verse. It's two verses. And I want us to think about it carefully. Because this is the verse that we use to tell people they must go to church. And I want you to read carefully. What does the apostle say here? And let us consider how we may spur one another on. Toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me unpack just a few things there. Firstly. The purpose of meeting is for what? One another. I'll go back and let's read it again. We may spur one another on. Encouraging one another. That's the purpose of meeting. God's name is not even mentioned in this verse. Now think about this. Why do we go to church? Think about it. The text says why? For one another. So we can do what? Spur one another on. We need each other. We need to build up each other. Life is tough out there. But then you might say, well, church It's the reason why I don't want to be around people. The church has hurt me. And that is probably true. And it's true often because of bad theology, bad teaching. And that maybe brings me to the next point. This is not a command to go to church. It's not a command. You You want to read that again? Let's go again. Let us consider. That's the beginning of the sentence. This is an exhortation, ladies and gentlemen. It's important. But often, it is taught as a command. 
So what happens? This is what happens. I have to go to church so God will be happy with me. What's wrong with that? First of all, you go to church thinking about yourself. This is about me and going to heaven. It's not about other people. It's about me going to heaven. That's not what the text is saying. Okay, I don't understand. You might say, okay, well, let me explain. I've heard many times people say, you know what? I go to church for God, not for the people. How do you justify that based on this verse? How do we justify that? So you can go to church without spurring your brother on. You might as well then just stay at home because this text is telling us meet together so that you can spur one another on. It is about one another. That's what community is. That's what loving one another is. It is about one another. The book of John says you cannot claim to love God and not your brother. It's, it's a triangle. That we, we, we're all connected to each other. Whoa. This text is telling us to meet together, to go to church for the people. So no wonder church often is a bad experience for many people. Because everybody who walks in there do so for selfish reasons because they are focused on God and not the person next to him. It's a contradiction. You can't. You can't focus on God and neglect the person next to you. You've got no idea who God is then. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't need to go to a church building to maintain your relationship with God. It's certainly beneficial and it's great. But if you're not talking to God on a daily basis and connecting with him in, in, in the word, and the sum total of your spiritual life is just going to a church building once a week, you are missing the plot. The encouragement of Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, 24 to 25 is this. Meet with the saints so that you can encourage one another. It is about us and our community. That's what that verse is about. Now, yes, we come to worship God. Yes, we come to listen to God's word, sure. But that verse, the one verse, by the way, that's really stringent on us meeting together, is talking about one another. It's about community. Meeting together is whenever and wherever we meet together. Institutional Christianity has taught us that the only meeting together is that's actually important is Sunday morning. That's it. That's only the thing that matters. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah, those of you who were here on Sunday nights, tell me when did the early church meet? Just one word. Daily. Daily. Let me make a side note here, and then I'll conclude and sit down. So, we have times to spur one another on. We have ladies' studies, men's breakfasts, Wednesday evenings, and all kinds of things going on. And some don't come to those events, meetings, times of community, times to love each other. That is fine. I'm the last person that will stand here and tell you to come, ask you to come, or beg you to come, or threaten you with hell to come to those times where you can be with God's people. And it's interesting, I think that's why the apostles, when they 
wrote Hebrews chapter 10. That's why they used exhortation instead of command. You know why? Because love can never be forced. Love cannot be forced. What the apostles is essentially saying, guys, come together. When the saints meet, come together with them. And did you see the reason why? It's not just about spurring them on. It's saying, for what reason? What's the end goal? Because the day is coming. What day? The judgment day is coming, ladies and gentlemen. And we need to encourage one another. It's going to be like this and it's going to be over. We need each other. It needs to sink in. And we need to spur one another on to spiritual fervor. Otherwise, that day will catch us unexpectedly. Peter says judgment will begin with the church. To begin with us. That's what the apostle is thinking here. Spur one another on because Jesus is coming back. And you don't want to get, you, want, you don't want to be cold when he gets back. You want to be warm when he gets back. Your absence, my absence, in many ways is evidence. Not of our anything else except that our love is just not really there. Don't really. I mean, think about it. I don't really love and appreciate the people in my church. To be honest, that's what it comes down to. Just let's be honest with it. I don't because if you really want to spend time with these people, you'd be here. As as simple as it is. If you feel You have been distant from God's people. Just be honest. Take it on the chin. And deal with it. Deal with the cause and ask yourself the question. Where am I really? I claim to love God. But it's people I struggle to love. Just be honest about it. This is not an issue of. Well I'm going to start going to church now. This is an issue of going on your knees and praying. And asking God Lord change my heart. So I can connect with your people. And prepare them for the day that you're coming back. And go to get strengthened by them for the day that you're coming back. So, a few suggestions. My suggestion is, identify three people that you will allow close to your heart. Jesus had three people close to him. And it seems to be a good principle. There's a triune God. If you can have at least three people in your life that's close to you that you can share your heart with. I think that's a good starting point. Don't skip any opportunity to spend with loving and positive people. The world is negative and it's cold. When there's an opportunity to be with God's people, grab it. Grab it while that opportunity is present. The, the, the churches, the, the Christians in, in, in the underground China, Christianity, and, and places all over the world, you know, when they have an opportunity to meet together, they grab it with both arms because it's so valuable to them. They know what it feels like to do that, in a, uh, to operate a Christian life in a country where it's, it's not well received. Thirdly, focus more on being insulated than being isolated. Because the, the, the world and the people are so difficult, Stop trying to isolate yourself from the world because the world is so evil. Rather, insulate yourself through the strength of the Holy Spirit so that you can go and influence and be a blessing to other people. 
Instead of being scared of what people are going to say about you, insulate yourself through the idea that God has about you. Well, God loves me and he likes me as I am, so I don't care what you think. I'm coming. I'm going to love you. It's much better. And that's aligned with the mission of Christ. It's aligned with the love of Christ and the love in his church. Fourthly, if you want friends, be friendly. Proverbs 18.24. And lastly, this is just a quote from Dr. Seuss. I'm not sure who this cat is, but, you know, I don't know. Is he a cool guy? I don't know. Is he a cartoon character or a person? Okay. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who don't, who mind don't matter. And those who matter don't mind. God bless you. Let's stand. Then we sing the closing.